back this evening. Our sermon will be taken from Luke chapter 8 this evening, but before we get over to Luke chapter 8, I want us to notice a passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 52, beginning with verse 13, and then we will uh, move on into a couple of verses in verse 53. Begin with Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished to see, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see. And that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire of him. Now that is speaking of our Savior. The end of Isaiah 52 talks about the exalted Savior. Isaiah 53, the first part of that, begins to talk about the man of sorrows, the person who would suffer for our salvation. He goes on to talk about him as a lamb uh, to the slaughter. He talks about how he will be an offering for sin. But notice how he was described. He's not going to stick out in your mind if you see him in the crowd. No one will notice him. How do we notice things in this world? Before it can be seen, we have to look, right? We have to look for something before we see it, whatever it is. I think a wonderful example of that is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene spoken of in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women which had been healed of every uh, of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto him of their serve, uh, substance. I think Mary Magdalene is a wonderful example of someone who looked and then she saw. Before we can see, one must Look, a lot of things have been said about Mary Magdalene. Tradition tells us a whole lot of things. She was a prostitute. She was a fallen woman. She was caught up in some kind of sensual lifestyle and she was saved from all of those things. In recent years, heretics have claimed that she was one of Christ's many wives while He lived upon this earth. Whatever the relationship she had with our Lord, we can be assured that it was a pure relationship. One of the things that I see when I study Mary Magdalene, and there's not a lot of information out there for us, is that she saw something in Jesus after Jesus saw something in her. But that's how it works, isn't it? God sees something in us, and then we see something in Him. John told us, 1 John 4, 19, we love Him because He first loved us. He reached out to us, therefore we reach out to him. If he had not wanted to offer grace and mercy to us, we could have never accessed it. But before it can be seen, one must 
look. And that's what I've titled tonight's sermon. Before it can be seen, one must look. And that's how we react to certain things, isn't it? Certainly that's how we react to Jesus. However it is that we see Him is how we react to Him. Mary Magdalene saw things in Jesus the world does not see. We see things in Jesus the world does not see, nor do they understand. But what do most people see when they see Jesus? And when I mean see Jesus, when they read about Him or they hear about Him or someone tries to share the gospel with them and the life-saving sacrifice that He made, what do most people see? Maybe they see a distraction, an inconvenience, a nuisance, something that interferes with their lifestyle choices, the things that they want to do, yet is contradictory to what the Bible teaches. Often when we look at someone, we do not get the full story, do we? And I think that is so true of Christ. Isaiah said it was true at the time that He would walk on the earth so many hundreds of years after Isaiah prophesied that, and it holds true today. People look at Jesus and they do not see really what is there. They're seeing the surface. They hear the quote story about Jesus. Uh, maybe it's a myth, maybe it's not. He may have been a historical figure, likely not a historical figure if you ask most people probably in the world. And I'm sure that few people saw anything very special in Mary just as few people saw anything very special in Jesus. But Jesus saw a lot. Only in these three verses tonight and in two other places do we learn anything about Mary. Only those three places in the whole of the New Testament. But that's all we need. We don't need a whole total biography on the life of Mary Magdalene to come to an understanding about her faithfulness. She saw something very special in Jesus. And she understood what she saw. She could only receive from Him, the Savior of the world. I think that's a wonderful lesson for us tonight. The first thing I want us to notice tonight as we use the passage read for us, and we're going to look into some other areas. Mary saw security in Jesus. When we first met Mary in that passage, she was not well, was she? She was uh, had been inhabited by seven demons. She had seven evil spirits that had overtaken her body, and she was not well in any way. She must have led an utterly miserable life prior to meeting Jesus. Was she a prostitute? Was she some sort of a fallen woman? I don't know if any of that's true. We're not told. The text certainly doesn't tell us any of that. But what we do know is her life was out of control and Satan was at the wheel. She didn't have any of the things that God wants for His creation because that's not what Satan wants for for God's creation. He wants His creation to be miserable. And as we look at the text, we're told that Jesus went from city to city preaching the glad tidings of the gospel and of the kingdom to come. She didn't have those things in her life. She could see through Jesus that she wasn't well. Isn't that, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? How many people in the world do not understand they're not well until they see Jesus or they meet Jesus and they learn about Him? They don't even understand that they're sick, do they? But sin is the worst sickness that we can ever have. And of course, Satan wants us to be miserable, wants us to be hopeless, and he wants to convince us that God had something to do with it. 
Instead of focusing on the good, Satan wants us to focus on the bad or those things maybe that we do not have. One of the great examples of that is found in 2 Kings 10, verse 29. Instead of Jeroboam focusing on the gift of the northern kingdom that God had given him, he began to focus on the fear of having that kingdom taken from him as if someone could take God's kingdom from the person he gave it to. He didn't want to worship God properly because if uh, what that meant was the people would have to go down to Jerusalem and he was afraid that the northern kingdom would go to the southern kingdom and stay. And then he wouldn't have a kingdom. So he decided to set up idol worship. A golden calf in the north, a golden calf in the south. And he instituted that and he caused Israel to sin. And there wasn't a good king, starting with Jeroboam all the way to the end of the lineages of the northern kingdom. Very few in the southern kingdom. You know, he should have understood his relationship with God in the same way that Paul understood it, shouldn't he? Paul told those in Rome, Romans 8, 35 through 37, he asked them a question. He said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And of course, he went on to answer that question saying, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Jeroboam needed to have understood and he should have seen in God that God was going to take care of him if he was obedient. That doesn't happen usually in the world. Satan lies to us. He tries to make us think that we cannot be well in Christ. But that's the only place we can be well, spiritually speaking. We can't be well anywhere else other than in Christ. He says you can't be well in Christ, and if you're going to be well, you have to find it on your own. That's not true, is it? Mary wasn't going to find her path to wellness on her own. She hadn't found it up to that point. She was inhabited by seven evil spirits. Her life was in turmoil. She didn't have a good existence in the physical. She certainly wasn't going to have a good one in the spiritual realm. Luke recorded for us, and it is definitely a a statement that denies everything that Satan wants us to believe. Acts 4 verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved and that includes our own names doesn't it I can't find wellness on my own I have to see it in Jesus but I have to be looking for it before I can see it again we don't know the exact circumstances or or the time of her healing but we can be assured that Mary Magdalene she saw security in Jesus because She saw Jesus and she could determine in her own life she wasn't well. But there's something else she saw in Jesus that was contrary to the times in which she lived. She could see that she was not well, but she saw that through that security that other women were accepted by Jesus. And that was absolutely contrary to the culture at that time. Some of the most faithful followers of Christ were women. Why is that odd? Why would that be strange? Well, in the first century, it was unheard of for a rabbi to have a female student. Certainly, uh, Mary would have noticed that. Certainly, she would have understood that that wasn't the norm for a teacher to have female followers than to accept them from all walks of life, to accept anyone who would come to him 
with the right attitude and with the right heart, that was absolutely unheard of. Mary learned firsthand that Jesus offered this acceptance to women. And and what that tells us is He offered acceptance to everybody. Anyone who would come to Him, if they would look for that. We need to understand that, that our Lord was not some sort of a chauvinist that modernists would like us to believe. How He mistreated women and God throughout the history of the Bible mistreated women. Nothing could be further from the truth. God upholds women in their rightful place. And Jesus accepted them at a time when no one else would. But He accepted women in the very same way that He accepted men, according to His laws, according to His plan. And they had to submit to that. He'll accept any of us if we'll come to Him on His terms and in humility. That's what we learned from her. After all, He did say, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mary saw that. She saw it because she looked for it. Before you can see it, one must look for it, right? She saw security in Jesus, but she also found satisfaction. That's our second point. She saw satisfaction. She, she saw a better life, didn't she? But then what about one of the other times we read about her? She's mentioned two other times in two completely different situations. The very next time we read about her, she's standing at the foot of the cross. It appears to everyone who's looking that the Christ had fallen into ruin. Now, how's that satisfaction? He had fallen into ruin. And Satan thought that, right? Satan thought he was victorious. He had, he had murdered her. Along at the foot of the cross, there were some other people standing there. Mark fifteen forty, Jesus' mother, his aunt, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and he was dying. She was watching him breathe his last breaths as a as a physical as the physical life was leaving his body. And again, to many, that would look like sound defeat. That certainly was ruin, wasn't it? But where's the satisfaction? Even Peter told the other apostles, do you recall? He said, I'm going to go back fishing, John 21, verse 3. Everything that they had followed, everything they had dedicated themselves to, including Mary Magdalene, had been taken from them, or so it appeared. Where's the satisfaction in the ruin? Well, there was satisfaction. It really wasn't ruin, because the next time we read about her, she was at the resurrection. In fact, she was one of the first, the first, to see the Christ after He came out of the tomb. She went to the tomb with the other women, they went to anoint his body and to continue the grieving process as was the uh, custom. But she found glory instead, didn't she? Matthew 28, 1 through 10. So the ruin led itself to re- uh, resurrection and that is satisfaction. She was filled with this satisfaction and as she ran back to the other disciples proclaiming to them that she had seen the Lord, John twenty eighteen. So she saw all of this in him, but she looked for it. She looked for it and she found it. We need to learn that. When life is hard, when pain is serious, and when death seems so powerful, remember that the Lord loves us and that we serve a Lord who never lets death win. Death will not win. He defeated death. The only way Satan can ever beat us is if we let him. 
Not because every aspect of life is enjoyable. That's not, that's not how we, we prove that Christ overcame death, is it? Because every aspect of life is not enjoyable. But we can have satisfaction because of the resurrection. Because think about it. He did come out of the grave, but did He stay with them? Did He return back to, to just the way it was before? No, that wasn't the plan. He went on to heaven. He went to rule over His kingdom, and so they were still without the Lord, but they could look to that time to be reunited with Him. See, that's where the satisfaction comes. She left the grave with satisfaction, and we can do the same thing today. Now, we're not going to leave a grave after having seen a loved one who's gone on before us, but we can look forward to the day when we can make our journey from the grave to be reunited once again. And that's what Mary saw. And that was the satisfaction, wasn't it? Paul wrote to the church of Christ at Corinth, and he answered some misconceptions that they had concerning the resurrection. They were, they were misunderstanding what would happen on that last day. They were under the impression that any of their loved ones who, who had gone on into eternity prior to Christ coming back would not be part of the resurrection. And so he told them, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 12, he said, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain? How do we know there's going to be a resurrection of all who have died? Because Christ came out of the grave. He resurrected. That's our proof. And so they're misunderstanding, thinking that the only people who get to go be in heaven eternally with Christ are those who are alive at His coming. If you go on before He comes, you're not going to be part of the resurrection. That's not true. Many times I've stood by a grave and I've heard or I have recited or read some of the statements that Paul made in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's read a little bit of that. 1 Corinthians 15 beginning with verse 50. Because he went on to assure his readers there is satisfaction. He said, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. And here it is. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul said, don't worry about the brethren who've gone on. Don't worry about your faithful family members who've gone on. There will be a resurrection. Why? Because Christ rose. That's the satisfaction. Looked like ruin to the world. 
looked like ruin to Rome and to Satan. But the resurrection brings satisfaction. Mary understood. If she was going to have security, if she was going to have the satisfaction that she saw in Jesus, she had to look for it. She had to search it out. But there's something else that she saw. There's something else that she understood. If she was going to have all of those things, the security, the satisfaction, she would have to serve Him. That's our third point. In the final verse of our passage, we're told that. But we have to look for it. Before we can see it, we have to look for it. Verse 3 of Luke 8. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto him of their substance. Mary Magdalene served our Lord, along with these other women, along with all the disciples. After her deliverance from Satan, she saw service as a part of her security and as a part of her satisfaction available to us. What was it that she did? She was healed of the seven demons and she went on to minister. She went on to do what she could do, right? She dedicated herself to that. She could have simply thanked the Lord and then tried to go back to whatever normalcy she had in the life prior to to having these seven demons, but that's not what she did. Of course, a normal life according to the world is not a normal life according to God, and it's certainly not what He wants for us, is it? She followed Him and she served Him in His ministry. She helped to support Him in the ways in which she could. We need to learn that same lesson, don't we? We're called to serve, not sit in a pew. We're called to serve, and when we are cleansed of the sin that connects us to Satan, what should we do? We should do exactly what Mary Magdalene did. She ministered and she served. God frees us from the chains of sin. Frees us differently than than what happened to her because she was physically inhabited with, a, with evil spirits. Jesus cast those out. But she had to be faithful to Him. She had to follow Him according to His commandments. I think sometimes people get backwards thinking and they have the attitude, if you talk to someone, I have to find a church that fits my needs. I think that's backwards thinking. I think here's what the world ought to do. The world ought to open up the Bible and say, I want to find the New Testament church, and then I want to fit my lifestyle to fit the needs of God. I want to be what God needs me to be when I search out His church. I don't need to be looking for a church that fits my needs. Can you imagine a church that would do that? What kind of church would that be? How do we know what our needs truly are? We know what our wants are, right? God knows what we need. He knows what we need. We need to read what He says. Mary didn't look for a group of people that was in the same shape she was in prior to Christ cleansing her. No, she looked for some people who were following Christ and she tried to pattern her life after His. We have to step out of the comfort zone. We have to do the things that God wants us to do. I think there's another very important aspect to her service. She ministered, but she continued to minister even when she was mourning. Mary watched Christ die, but she served in her mourning. She went to care for His body. She could have 
She could have gone back to doing whatever it was she was doing, but she didn't do that. She was the first one to the tomb. She wanted to go do what she could do even in her mourning. She saw an importance in serving, even in the face of death. Now that's a lesson, isn't it? Even in the face of terrible things in this life, we need to see the importance of serving. Too often, I think we allow the bad circumstances of life to hinder us from serving. What we ought to be doing is going to God, asking Him for guidance, trying our best to fulfill what He has left for us to fulfill. Mary didn't leave the Lord. Even though everything she had devoted her life to had left her, or it seemed to have left her. But see, we're going to face that, aren't we? Everything in this life is temporary. Now, I don't just mean life itself. It is temporary. But good times are temporary, aren't they? Don't we have good times kind of bleeding into bad times? Kind of bleeding into good times? Aren't we on the mountain and sometimes in the valley? It's very temporary, isn't it? That's the world in which we live. Everything is temporary. Happiness is is temporary. And I'm talking about the happiness that we see in this world. Things are going well for us. Our jobs are great. Our health is wonderful. Our... Uh, Our family's doing well. We've got plenty of food. I'm not talking about that eternal happiness that we look to and we can still be happy even though times are bad. But everything in this life is very temporary. We need to be like Abraham. Hebrews 11.10 He searched for that city not made by the hands of men. He wanted that city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. But that's what we're supposed to do, isn't it? That's what God expects. What did we do this very day? We mourned the death of Christ. We celebrated His resurrection and we thanked God that we could have our sins forgiven as we observed the Lord's Supper. I'm glad He's no longer in the tomb. But I still need to serve. I still need to do what He's asked. Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, He said, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ, in Him crucified. He was teaching others the good news. That was His service. And He fulfilled it. I think what a great example. When we read about Mary Magdalene, a very uh, non-talked about woman of the Bible. We don't have a lot of information about her, but what we do have is astounding. She's a wonderful lady. She teaches us that Before it can be seen, one must first look. And when she looked at Christ, she saw security. She saw satisfaction. She saw service in this life. But when did all that change happen to her? Did all of a sudden she just woke up one day and the the evil spirits didn't inhabit her any longer? She was able to have her sound mind back? How exactly did that happen? When did she see that special thing that we can all see? It all started after Jesus cleansed her from her connection to Satan. That's what He does for us today, isn't it? In initial obedience to Him, we we obey the gospel plan of salvation. We need to be able to tell people about it, remind people about it, talk about the wonderful faith that without it, God cannot be pleased, Hebrews 11, 6. Talk about the repentance that He demands from all men everywhere, Acts 17, 30 through 31. 
talk about that great confession that says Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I believe that He came up out of the grave after He died for my sins, and, and He's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, ruling over the kingdom. Acts 8, verse 37. We need to be able to tell people it doesn't stop there. Denominations in the world will tell us that, but we have to be immersed in water because that's the way we're saved, 1 Peter 3, 21. And then that faithful life of, of service, maintaining our security, maintaining our satisfaction. That's how we do it. That's how we see. Sometimes we get off track and we don't see very well, do we? Sometimes our eyes become clouded and we need to, to wipe them and we need to look a little closer but we need to search out what we're looking for. We need to search out a way to come back to God when we leave Him. We do that through repentance, confession of the sin, whether publicly or privately. Ask Him to forgive us, and He wants to do that. That's the amazing thing, isn't it? Why would He want to? I don't know. I'm just glad that He does. He wants to forgive us. He wants to save us. Mary saw that, but she was looking for it. You're looking for something tonight in our Savior. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.